We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Nah, it's the worst. You know, you, you've spent a lot of time with these guys, and you've seen guys give everything they got. You don't feel bad about somebody that doesn't give the, you know, the, the maximum effort. And those guys, you don't even care. I'd be more than happy to cut those guys. But the guys that have given everything they have and just wasn't quite good enough, those are the ones that it, it, it's tough. I mean, there is no doubt it's, uh, it, it's the worst time as a coach because you, you can – you can use anybody, you know, like you're sitting back saying, as long as they'll give that, you know, all they have, it's like letting play here, let them do, you know, some of that. But unfortunately, that's not the way it is. You know, it's up to a coach you keep every every single player. Welcome to the Rock Pal Report, everybody. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Rex Ryan from his interview at BuffaloBills.com, talking about how much he dislikes roster cut job. Now, it's got to be hard being put in that position. You know, considering that you start the summer with 90 guys. You guys all go away to camp. A lot of them are young players, you know. And they all, they're all looking up at you as the coach. You know, they're buying into what you're selling. And they are trying so hard to make an impression on you and the rest of your staff. And you know in the back of your head that at the end of August, 37 of them won't be there anymore. It's got to be really tough as a coach, you know, especially a player's coach like Rex, who really just loves the guys on his team. Right? Correct. Loves his team. <laughs> so we're going to jump into things here, and we're going to get right into this week's Bills News Update. We've got a lot to cover tonight. We're going to start off with Chris Gregg and John Powell, both suffering ACL tears this week during their game with the Washington Redskins. In Friday night's game, both players suffered injuries resulting in torn ACLs, and they'll miss the rest of the season. Now, Gregg's is particularly tough because it was the result of a low hit from cornerback D'Angelo Hall, and it went completely unflagged. It's been debated all week as to whether or not 
the hit was a clean hit? Was it a dirty hit? No one seems to know. But at the end of the day, the result is the same. The now, end of the day, there is a limited strike zone. You can't go for the head on anybody, defenseless receiver, and you can't take somebody's knees out. Well, regardless, not only is Greg's season done, but he's been waived pending an injury settlement. Now, for a guy who was looking good this far through the preseason, it's just another blow to the depth that Buffalo was hoping that they had cultivated at the onset of this season. I mean, that game could be the last time we ever see Chris Gregg in a Bills uniform. I think he'll be back. I think they'll sign him next year and he'll go through minicamp, training camp, and preseason. We'll see. He's got to clear waivers first, so we'll see what happens. In other news, this week the Bills recently signed two new linebackers and then hit on the waiver wire for a center. Now, given the hits our depth chart at outside linebacker and inside linebacker have taken, the Bills went out early this week. They acquired a pair of guys on defense who they think can really help their depth at those positions. They traded an undisclosed 2018 draft pick, which is most likely a seventh rounder, to Green Bay in order to pick up outside linebacker Laurenti McRae. He entered the league in 2013 but missed his entire first season with an injury. In 2014 and 2015, McRae was mostly used as a coverage linebacker on special teams units. You know, but he's playing for the Denver Broncos. So, you know, his scouting report touted McRae as a former four-star collegiate athlete, but he had injury issues. Now, by all accounts, he has the physical skills to be a versatile defender who can both set the edge play the run well, and also get some pass rush in. And But considering how good Denver's defensive front was, I, there was no room for him. You know, you're talking about, a, you're talking about you've got DeMarcus Ware. You've got DeMarcus Ware, you've got, uh, oh my God. Von Miller? You've got Von Miller, you've got Shane Ray. He's kind of good. You've got a handful of guys at that position who are very talented. And so there's just no room for McCray on the depth chart. They, let, they released him to go find work elsewhere, and he landed with Green Bay this offseason. However, Green Bay had wanted to keep him around for his special teams abilities, but I think the Bills see more in him. You know, he's, he's a guy who appears to have some upside, and we got him on the cheap if you figure we got him for a seventh-round draft pick. Well, I, obviously we're not, we're not too uh, down with our linebacking core, considering no. we just <clears throat> we just traded for a linebacker. No, right, and that's the day of cut day. I think that's the biggest takeaway from the move is that they must not be settled with what they have going into this season at outside linebacker if they're willing to make a move like that. Now, he he's a guy who looks like he's got some upside. You know, we got him for next to nothing. I personally like the move. And given that we gave up a piece of draft capital to get him, I'm assuming he has to make this final roster. Right or wrong? Yeah, well, yeah. Is he well, is, is he even playing tomorrow night? I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Now, Wednesday, the, the, just this morning, you know, the team signed inside linebacker Raymond Humber, formerly of the New Orleans Saints. He's a six-year veteran, I believe. Uh, he's been referred to as just a serviceable backup, core special teams player, and he's been on the Saints for years. The Patriots signed him to a one-year deal, but ended up cutting him. And I think with Rob Ryan here, he kind of, you know, kind of like the Hawthorne pickup. He sees a guy who is a good depth player that they think they can bring in. Now, the thing I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, given that he was just a street free agent, it's going to be interesting to see if he's not just here as a rental to get our team through tomorrow night. 
You know, they may they may be bringing him in just to get us over the hump without injuring anyone else that they want to actually put on the roster. That's what we were doing with Austin Trainer, <laughs> but I guess Cardale's good enough to play, so you can expect Cardale to start tomorrow night. Oh, absolutely. And then another breaking news: the Bills just an hour ago, at, you know, an hour before the onset of this podcast, were awarded center Patrick Lewis off of waivers. For those of you who don't know anything about the guy, I wouldn't blame you. He started nine games for the Seahawks in 2014, including their entire playoff run and their Super Bowl appearance. The Seahawks made a trade. They, they, they went out and they got Max Unger, you know, and that basically shored up their center position. And then they drafted depth at that position. <clears throat> so Patrick Lewis, who's a former undrafted free agent, just wasn't, it was a numbers game. Someone had to go. The fact that he was out there and that we put a waiver claim in for him, again, much like the McCray trade, says it speaks volumes about what they think about our li- our offensive line depth. You know, According to Chris Brown at BuffaloBills.com, Lewis will not play tomorrow, which means that he's got to be a finalist for our 53-man roster, right? You don't bring a guy in to not play him and then cut him. Uh, I believe we did that with Austin Trainer. Well, then again, that's quarterback who? Austin Trainer. Who? who I'm, I'm sorry, I don't recognize the name. Who? I know Flor. I think Florida A and M. Did he and actually, West Georgia? On, did he actually have time to put on a Bills T-shirt? Probably not. All right. Well, then he wasn't a member of this team, and I don't care. All I know is the the coaching staff must love his upside and the fact that he's young, and that he with good coaching he may they they may see something in the kid. But the fact is, is that we have new depth that we didn't have as of yesterday. Well, and you have like you have line. not liked our offensive line depth no. at all. No, I thought our reserves on the offensive line were terrible for most of the preseason, and I I like the fact that they've decided to address it because if something God forbid something were to happen to Eric Wood, I'm going to knock on wood right now. God forbid something were to happen to him, who would we have? Ryan Groy is not an acceptable. He's not an acceptable left guard, much less a starting center. Fernando Velasco maybe might present some upside, but they clearly thought that this kid who started through the playoffs and took his team to the Super Bowl presents some more upside, more so than what was already here on the team. And that's going to be interesting to see when it comes to final cuts. Exactly. And this is also your excuse for losing your bet to Gary next week. Oh, there's no excuse. Oh, there's no excuse. I'm going to win that bet. I'm telling you, I feel good. You really think Wilder, Wilder, I don't think, is a shot. For those of you who don't know, I made a bet. The AFC East Bros podcast. They Great cover all, show. They cover all things AFC East. One brother is a Bills fan, one is a Jets fan. Let's not forget what else they cover. Well, Raccoons. They cover- donut machines. <laughs> uh, UFC fighting. Arcade Car games. washes. Arcade games. So, of so Gary, one of their hosts, and I made a bet that James Wilder Jr. would make the roster over Mike Gillisley. Now, if Mike Gillisley starts the season on some kind of cannot perform list because of the concussions and he can't get out of protocol, and James Wilder Jr. ends up in the final fifty-three, I'm going to call that a win. But he and I both agreed that if Gillisley doesn't make it and Wilder doesn't make it, then Chris owes us both drinks. You know, that, that was the bet. We were going to buy each other drinks. Chris actually buy, has to buy the drink drinks because this podcast was his idea. <laughs> and that makes it his fault. <laughs> I'll take that. So we're going to move on here. We're going to get right into the uh, 
Buffalo Bills versus Washington Redskins recap. And I'll tell you, it wasn't pretty. This is a game that I wanted to... I, I'm glad that I missed the majority of it on first airing. I rewatched it on a, you know, on the uh, NFL.com's Game Pass. They, I'm glad it was compressed and only took me 40 minutes and I got most of the screaming at my laptop out of the way. You know, if, if I had been watching it live, it probably would have been one of those games where my girlfriend wouldn't be talking to me afterwards, and I'd be alone outside on the front porch just wondering where my life went wrong. Dude, it was awesome watching that game. And I'm only saying that from the standpoint of a single man, because <laughs> I had, I filled this bucket right here that we have on my table filled with beers. I put four or five beers in. I drank all of them. You're welcome. <laughs> and I had 20 chicken wings. Ah, that's a good night. So we're going to jump right into it. We got the good. The good from the night. You know, it was hard to find them, but I found some. First off, Rex's decision to sit the starters. I'm driving to dinner, and I get this text message from someone just losing their mind over the fact that, oh my God, we're not playing our starters. Oh, this is garbage. Rex broke from tradition this week. Okay, He didn't want his starters to play meaningful snaps at all. He cited that he felt that it was in the best interest of the team's health. And here's I feel pretty good about evaluating this team. I think that's the number one thing. I want to evaluate this football team. I feel pretty good about the guys that I sat, obviously, I feel good about. And I don't think we can afford to get them hurt. And that's as simple as that. Now, at the time when I heard about it, you know, you know coming from buffalobills.com, I questioned how it would make us look. I can just picture the national media piling on us for this. Oh, this isn't what normal football people do. This isn't the... You're but, not going to play your starters based on the training camp that we've had oh, the and tra- ACL tears well, and see, the thing is he nagging knows. injuries. The thing is he knows. He's seen it. He's seen enough. He doesn't want any more injuries. And so he says, you know what? I will risk. He's saying, you know what? I will risk You know the you know looking poorly in the media and maybe not getting my starters as many reps as I might want if it means that I can keep them healthy enough to be here come week one. I think he was ultimately the right call. You know, you fans may disagree. Chris, you may disagree. No, I don't. I, w- I don't want the starters to play a lick in the preseason. Maybe out of the since it's four games in the preseason, I want my starters playing no more than one full quarter across those four games. This is the preseason is meant to find your depth players you already we already know McCoy is our starting running back I don't need to see him in a preseason game we know Tyrod (coughs) is in is our quarterback I don't need to see that in preseason Sammy Watkins he's coming off a foot injury I don't want to see him at all in the preseason save it till week one I can't argue with that one of the other positive takeaways Reggie Bush on offense now I know I know you can call me a hypocrite. I bagged the I bagged the signing. I said it was a bad idea. Yeah, you're a hypocrite. Well, that night he showed the fact that you know I've got friends who are Dolphins fans. One of my best friends, Bob, big Dolphins fan. He when we signed Bush, he said, "Oh, you're going to be so pumped. This guy's going to give you guys so much." I saw it with my own two eyes. He only ran three times, but he got 17 yards. And a lot of it was just those runs where you can see the veteran in him. 
you can see he knows to watch the play develop and then hit a second gear and burst through the hole. And that pop, that explosiveness, that's what I needed to see out of him in order to make that signing worth it. It looks like in a limited capacity he may still have that, which bodes well for him being on this roster. And it doesn't help that our offensive line, at least our starters, are pretty good. Yeah, our starter, they, we were the number one rushing team in football. Yes, you can say it's because we took more attempts. We maybe weren't the most efficient offense, but these guys are learning and they're going to get better. That's right. When you're, our, I can't see them regressing. When you have the number one rushing attack from last season and you bring back the entire line this year, then that means when they rank in the division the four teams, who has the best and worst offensive line on the everyone's favorite NFL podcast from NFL Network, Moving the Sticks, with uh, Bucky Brooks and your boy Daniel Jeremiah, <laughs> those two a-holes said that the Bills have the worst offensive line in the division. Well, the thing is, it's we may not... Position by position, other teams might have more talent. But the thing is, as a unit, we have a creative offensive coordinator who finds ways to put these guys in positions to win their battles. They win their battles on rushing attempts, and they get yardage. And no, and there's not another team, as far as the ground game is concerned, in our division who can do that. No, and I think I would assume... One of the best attributes of, I, I would say, your interior line, mm-hmm. incognito, Wood, Miller, is their ability to pull. Oh, yeah. We do a ton of, there's a ton of outside. There's a lot of pulling of the guards. I, I've seen, I, I saw them run a couple plays last year where they did the redskin counter, where you bring the guard and the tackle, and they just brought them both on a sweep, and you just, you saw it. The results were catastrophic, as they usually are. You usually just it's it's a human wall coming at the other defense, and usually some cornerback is getting caught by a guard. He's not looking for it, and he just gets decimated. But that's the those are the kind of slam concepts that he brings to our running game. And I think that seeing Reggie Bush kind of get some pop, you know, in his offensive presence, it's encouraging because it just bolsters the number of playmakers we have. I mean, our running our running backs are going to be the engine that drive the team. That's it. Our offense lives and dies with our running game. Look, I'm going to be interested to see week one in Baltimore on our first offensive drive if there's going to be times where Greg Roman throws out Shady in the backfield and puts Bush in the slot. They did it during the Giants game, and it almost resulted in a giant catch by Reggie Bush. So it can happen. And then my last positive takeaway from that game was Walter Powell. Now, it's been one of the most contested position battles of the entire offseason. But Walt Powell might have just run, won the race with that game. Two weeks in a row, Powell led the team in receiving with five catches for 55 yards. And a few of those catches were fantastic. I mean, the, there's the catch. It's, it was on NFL Network. It's, it's gone through you know local media highlight reels where he jumps over. The, you know He goes up. He elevates because he knows. Walt Powell knows he has to elevate over the cornerback in order to catch this ball. And by all accounts, EJ threw a beautiful football. I mean, he put it just over the cornerback, but had it dropping so his receiver could still high point it. But his back was to the sideline. So he doesn't know when he's going up how close he is. But he had the presence of mind to look as he's catching it and manage to get both feet inbounds before he goes out. When you're on a game-winning, game-winning drive, to have a guy like Powell who can just come up with these plays, he did it during the uh, almost comeback game against the Colts. You know, he caught that big pass down the middle and then got yards afterwards. He just seems to be a guy who makes plays. And I think that 
he's really carved out a niche for himself, especially when you factor in his special teams value. He can be your backup punt returner, your backup kick returner. I don't see a universe in which I think that that game that he just had won him a spot on this roster, regardless of what happens tomorrow night. Agree or disagree? I got Powell on the roster just because he gives you that dimension in the return game in case something happens to Reggie Bush. That's true. And then we're going to talk about the bad. Okay. Des Lewis. I'm just going to lead off with Des Lewis. Why wasn't he cut? For Oh, we're going to get into that in a little bit when we talk about the roster cuts. For a guy who was recently called out by his coach and who came into this game knowing that he'd really have to shine in order to try to make some kind of an impression here, he just fell on his face. You know, by all accounts, from what I've seen and what I've heard and everyone else's synopsis of this, he turns into the invisible man immediately after kickoff. By invisible man, let's just... Re- Place that word with James Hardy. It's it's he ridiculous. Turns into He's James Hardy. He's a big physical receiver who just can't play like a big physical receiver when the when the game matters. He's routinely bumped off his routes. That's, Look, that, that's why he's never open, is because he can't handle jams at the line of scrimmage. For a guy his size, no one should be putting hands on him like that. No, and look, yet, look, they get into his body, they disrupt his timing, and he can't recover. Look, if you don't want to be physical, go play basketball. Yeah, it's 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 becoming rapidly apparent that this isn't Des Lewis's game. You know, and then he, he caught no balls and then dropped a pass that he should have had for a first down. And then there were some occasions where it just looked like he was flat out running the wrong route, which made EJ have to go to his check down or have to go somewhere else on the field. He finished with zero stats, and that's why I don't see him. I just don't see him on our 53-man roster. The next negative would you point, Wait, wait. Would you put him in the practice squad again? No, no. Get him out of here. I've seen everything I need to see. The next point I'm going to bring up is injuries. Given that we sat our starters, the injury we sust- the injuries we sustained were only to backups. Okay, so that's I guess the only silver lining here because Jesus Christ, we can't catch a break with these things. Greg and Powell are both done for the season with torn ACLs. So that's, does that make three? Yep. Jonathan Williams suffered a rib injury that forced him out of the game. I hated that play. Kevon Seymour pulled his hamstring, and on the final play of the game, Walter Powell caught a concussion. While none of these players were expected to be starters, and Seymour, Williams, you know, there's been no word of Powell, so I'm assuming he's okay. They, they seem like they'll make quick recoveries. It's just another blow to this depth on our roster. It's ridiculous. The John Williams play really irritated me. The fact that it's forward progress, you get stopped, you blow the whistle, and basically like a sidewalk slam, and he injures his ribs. Watching the play, I thought he, I thought he had a concu- I thought it was a concussion. Watching that, I don't know. I mean, the the calls were erratic to say the best, but the the, the one of my uh, one of my last negative takeaways from this game was the offensive line play. I mean, thank God most of the players on the O line from that game won't be anywhere near our team come game day because the pass protection was god awful. EJ Manuel finished the game with thirty eight yards rushing. None of those were designed quarterback runs. None of them. Most of it was just because the right guard and right tackle were routinely being collapsed. I mean, you look at the guys who are out there. Martin and Renfro. I talked about it earlier in the season. Those two guys are not NFL football players. 
They have no business being on an NFL football field. And they sh- our tackles were routinely either missing blocks altogether or just getting bulldozed over. And EJ had no choice on a lot of plays but to bail out of the pocket and just see what he could get with his legs. I mean, the fact that he even had us in position to throw a game-winning touchdown, given their poor play, is a testament to the fact that EJ is growing still as a quarterback. I mean, we just, you know, and you can see with the pickup of uh, Patrick Lewis that this is just a thing. This is the theme. Our backups at offensive line have not been good enough throughout this part portion of the preseason. And then we get to the ugly, the worst the worst, most glaring part of that entire crap fest that was a football game is going to go to the officiating. This man. Anytime a football game gets played where there are 23 flags and over 200 yards of total penalties handed out, you can call that game a disaster. It started with a botched coin toss. Okay, a botched coin toss by Ed Hockley. Now, that's just embarrassing when you consider how many of those he's done. Then there was just so many inconsistencies throughout the game, it's not funny. I mean, you've got Alexander getting getting flagged for that ridiculous roughing the passer penalty. He hooked him right around the waist. He hits him in the upper thigh, okay? That's where he initiates his contact. But then because he's already falling to the ground, he slides down the quarterback's legs, and that's a 15-yard penalty. Meanwhile, a few snaps later... Greg gets completely submarined by D'Angelo Hall, and there's no flag. Apparently, quarterbacks live on a completely other planet from every other football player out there on the field. I think that's absurd. You know, that right there, if I had seen that in real time and been at home watching it, I don't know what I would have thrown, but it would have been you would like have a had, tornado in my You would have room. had to gotten a new television. Oh, you would, have, you would have put a chair or your foot... Through the television. And I think that the giant cherry on top of this, you know, dog shit Sunday that anyone who watched that game can enjoy. The NFL head of officiating, Dean Blandino, was actually in attendance for the game. Let that sink in for a second. This veteran officiating crew called that game in front of their bosses. Everyone's going to ask, how does that happen? How do you have that poor of an officiating showing? Especially coming from Hockley, who is regarded as one of the better officials in the NFL. Well, I'm glad you asked, Chris. So, for a new segment that we're rolling out, uh, I got a little bit curious. You know, I saw the tweets, I saw all the messages that were flying around about, man, these officials suck. And then I rewatched the game and I was like, Jesus Christ, what am I watching? There's so much yellow flying around the field. It's absurd. So then it got me wondering, okay, can, can Ed Hockley's crew, like, were they showing off for their boss, or are, are they really just that bad? So I dug into it a little bit deeper, and what I found is shocking. And that's going to kick off this uh, installment of Rockpile Report Investigates. Ed Hockley is a guy I used to have some respect for. You know, for years, he's been viewed as one of the best in the league at being an NFL official. However, in 2008, he made an egregious error in miscalling what was, in the red zone, in the fourth quarter, a blatant fumble by Denver that was recovered by San Diego and should have gone on to win them the football game. He ruled it an incomplete pass, and in 2008, that wasn't reviewable. 
You know, it wasn't a th- they didn't automatically review every turnover. Let's not forget that that play was in the red zone. Yeah, it was in the red zone. In the they- red zone, turnover negated a negated at least three points on the board. Denver went on to score a touchdown on the ensuing play and win the football game. The blowback from it was huge. I mean, you're ta- Ed Hockley was lambasted by fans around the country. Both he and his crew were investigated and downgraded by the NFL for over a year, just you know, over just the entire incident and all the scrutiny it brought to the officiating community. You know, it, it was incredible, and it was it was a bad call. Now you think that a once in a lifetime occurrence like that would be enough for a guy who's been in the league for as long as Ed Hockley has? But it doesn't end there. Okay, fast forward seven years to 2015. Hockey Lee was again in the news for blowing a blatant personal foul out-of-bounds hit on Cam Newton in a game against the New Orleans Saints. You know, it's a division game. Tempers are flaring. Guys are, you know, they, they, they lay a little extra wood when they get the opportunity. The notable part of this story is that Cam, Cam Newton went to Ed Hockey Lee, who personally made the call and had words with him, and that upon his protest was informed by Hockey Lee that he was quote-unquote too young to get that call. What the hell does that mean? Too young to get that call. I remember seeing it and you laughing about it. You haven't That's because I, hate I hated Cam Newton at the time. So. Obviously, War Eagle. It's because you haven't invested enough time as an NFL player, and even though you're a top pick, you're not going to get that call for a couple years. But the NFL is about stars, about marketing the best player on the teams, which the most... <clears throat> The best spot on the team is the quarterback. Quarterback position is viewed at the most. You're the star star of the team, quarterback. Mm-hmm. you got to protect the quarterbacks. But in that Hockey instance, League, here's Hockey League not doing not it. Not doing it. Basing it on the fact that he hasn't been in the league long enough. He hasn't earned his stripes yet. That, once again, set every single one of Ed Hockey League's detractors on fire. And although he wasn't punished by the NFL for this infraction, it's another it's another knock. Okay, it's another hole in the boat, Ed. Then you're talking about the playoffs last year. AFC Championship game, one of the biggest stages of football. Hockey Lee not only called a phantom pass interference call that extended an eventual Denver touchdown drive, but then inappropriately mischaracterized an obvious backwards pass by Peyton Manning to a running back. Are you sure that backwards pass wasn't from Matt Sims? Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, this pass clearly travels about a yard backwards. The Not running back, 15. The running back for Denver makes the laziest attempt I've ever seen. The ball hits his fingertips, falls to the turf, and the running back just stands there and looks at it. Well, the Patriots' defensive end scoops the ball up and runs to the end zone with it. And they're celebrating. You know, they know what they saw. They know what the play was. Ed Hockley first called it, you know, an incomplete pass. It kind of like the Denver debacle all over again. This time it took 15 minutes worth of reviews and discussion and calls to the booth and Blandino had to get on the phone. And it was finally determined that Hockley had made the wrong call again. This time the ball was given back to the Patriots, but the touchdown came off the board. Now think about how that impacts a playoff football game that was decided by a missed two-point conversion. His two, the two most glaring calls by Ed Hockley dictated that football game. And with all of that and more over his tenure you know, going against him, 
I'd still have to say that the other night against the Redskins was probably the most egregious proof that he and his crew might not belong in officiating anymore. You know, I, I just saw it on Twitter and I saw it on Facebook. I didn't get to see the bulk of the game the night it was happening, but I just saw all of this stuff pouring in about how poor the officials were. Then I sat back and I watched the game for myself. And I said, Jesus, it seems like they're calling a lot of penalties. There's a ton of them here. And do you, do you think that that's... Hockley's doing that knowing that Blandito is in-house? Well, and that was something I thought. And so then what I did was I took... On, on Saturday morning, I sat down and I said, okay, for every preseason game that's been played so far this week, what what did those stat lines for penalties look like? I'll tell you. There, there was four games with 15 total penalties called, two games with 12. Out of all of those games, the highest penalty yardage total for the game was 135 yards. So obviously, our game... With 23 penalties and 191 yards worth of penalty yardage, that sticks out like a sore thumb, right? I mean, that, that in and of itself, it raises some eyebrows. The stats don't lie. So comp- people can complain about this, but I'm seeing it with the numbers that this one crew stuck out like a sore thumb. So that got me wondering, is he just showing off knowing that his boss is in-house watching him officiate this game? Or maybe... I need to look at what the rest of his games throughout the course of this preseason have looked like in order to really get a picture of what's happening. Well, here's what I found. Week one, his crew threw 17 flags for 146 penalty yards. Week two, his crew threw 18 flags for 201 penalty yards. And then, then obviously last week, 23 flags for 191 penalty yards. That's an average of 19 flags a game for 179 yards of penalties. Now, take into account last season, the average for the regular season for penalties thrown by an officiating, called by an officiating crew. There was 16 flags per game thrown for an average of 58.9 yards per team. You know, so you figure what, what's that, 118 yards a game? So that's 16 penalties, 118 yards a game from every other crew besides Hockley. From every other crew besides Hockley's. Now, you get into penalty yardage for an entire season, that come, that boils down to 942 yards worth of penalties per NFL football team over the course of 16, a 16 game season. So already, Hockley's stats for this preseason, again, jump off the page at you. They seem egregious. That's an absurd, absurd disparity in the number of flags and total penalties. So that pushed me a little bit farther. And I say, okay, let's research the numbers a little bit more. I decided to look back at the last quarter of 2015 and see what his crew came up with for the last four games of last season. Week 17, 17 flags, 134 yards. Again, over the average. Week 16, 11 flags, 85 yards. That was one of the one of the only weeks he was actually on the kind of conservative side. He was tamed. Week 15, Texans at Colts. 14 flags, 142 yards. Once again, he's over the average. And then week 14, he officiated the Bills at Eagles game. If you guys all remember that, I'm sure you do because it was heartbreaking. I mean, that was the official end of our run at trying to make the postseason. 20 total flags for 166 penalty yards. If you figure the average for an NFL football game last season was 118, 166 seems ridiculous. But that's what happened. 
That's the game he called. Over those four games, he averaged 15.5 flags for 131.8 penalty yards. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, so let me just put it in terms of this. If we were to compare what Ed Hockley did, and, and then just so that you guys don't think I'm biased in the last four weeks, I checked the first four weeks of the season, and Hockley's crew had the same percentages. The, the averages were still the same. So what that means is that if every team in football had had their game officiated by Ed Hockley, okay, remember how I said earlier, 942 yards worth of penalties for an entire season for a football team. That number jumps up to 1,054.08 which means 111 extra penalty yards per team per season. That blows my mind. That means that Hockley's crew, if they had gotten to officiate every game out there, would have caught one whole extra football field's worth of penalties just because Ed Hockley was their official. If that's a trend that continues into this season, something has to be done. We, I mean, our game has become so watered down, and you know, you've got the violent hits that they're trying to take out of it. They're trying to take all of what used to make football, you know, the the hits and the you know the physicality of the game. They're doing a lot to take that out of it. But this kind of egregious over officiating is ruining the game of football for a lot of fans, and not just fans, but players. You know, the players aren't taking it anymore. Last season, Alex Boone came out. Just came right out in an interview and had this to say about the officiating in a game that they lost due to Ed Hockley's bad calls. I'm not really too worried about getting fined. I thought those refs sucked. And I thought that, you know, you call running into a player when nobody even touched you. I mean, if you don't like what we say, then don't like what we say. Don't throw a flag for it. You know, that's what I'm sick about this league. You know, this is supposed to be a man's game. Be a man. And that's what pisses me off. These guys like that work in this league and work on this field, and we have to deal with that. You know, whatever. It, it was a terrible call. They've had terrible calls all game. I don't care what the league says. I don't care what Roger says. It's the truth. If you don't like it, get the hell out of here. That audio comes from NFL.com. And then after last week's Redskins game, both Chris Gregg and Jerry Hughes took to Twitter with comments about the state of hits on the quarterback, low contacts, you know, low contact with no penalties being called. I mean, you cannot let th- this isn't going to stand. What was uh, Greg's tweet? I'd rather be hit high. I'd rather be hit up high than low, just, just saying. saying. And then you've got Jerry Hughes talking about where am I supposed to hit a quarterback now? You know, th- the Did he even the- play on Did he even play on Friday? No, but I'm sure he sees it and he looks at it like, okay, I'm gonna go out there and hit a guy, and if Ed Hockley's back there, he's gonna throw that flag. Where am, how am I supposed to get a sack and do my job? How am I supposed to do my job as a pass rusher if when Croy Bierman breezes past the quarterback and in, makes incidental contact with his left hand to the helmet and it's a 15-yard flag? How do you play the game of football as a defensive end? It's, it's, it's awful. And I'll be honest, if I know this type of stuff and I can do this type of research, you have to know that teams know it, coaches know it. So what does that do to a football game when you look at that lineup and you say, okay, Ed Hockley's coaching my game. If you're Rex Ryan, you're like, oh, shit. Here comes Ed Hockley. I'm going to get flagged to death. So then I'm going to have to tell my players, look, you can't, be, you can't play as fast. You can't play as hard. You can't do things you would normally do. But then that takes you off your game. Well, plus, I would say that would definitely suck for Rex Ryan because I would assume over his career, his teams have been highly penalized. 
Oh, absolutely. So that only stands for, you know, people are wondering why the Bills are one of the most heavily penalized team in fo- teams in football. Rex Ryan has a career of having teams that kind of play with an edge, and they do get those penalties. But in this hypersensitive NFL that we're playing in now, apparently, it's it's exacerbated. You know, he, there were, we were almost the most penalized team in football last year. It's it's that comes from the Giants game. Well, <laughs> it comes from a lot of games. That game with 166 yards versus the Eagles. 101 of those yards were ours. Oh, I, mean, I hated that game. This officiating, you know, this officiating is something that the NFL cannot continue to just gloss over. And it starts with guys like Ed Hockley. He's a veteran. He's revered in many NFL circles. But if this stuff doesn't change, I think he and everybody else who calls games the way he does need to be shown the door. Isn't uh, isn't it you're selected to like officiate the Super Bowl based on your overall performance during the regular season? Yeah, and he and made what, it what, to the AFC Championship game. So what does that say about the trend in officiating? I mean, th- this just can't fly anymore. It can't. The players hate it. The coaches hate it. And you, you can't play the game of football the way it's meant to be played if you have that degree of over-officiating. You or you, under-officiating in moments where judgment is really relied on. He is one of the most senior NFL officials. So when they do NFL officiating meetings, you wonder how much pull he has in meetings when they're discussing rule changes and how people call games, you know, in the off season. Oh, Cuz I'm sure they ha- I'm sure they have those meetings where all of the officials come together and they discuss yeah. the previous season and what to do the upcoming season. I'm sure he has a ton of pull. I'm sure he and his crew did not do, they do not set out every Sunday to do a poor job, but I'll tell you this. I can't stomach any more of this. And it seems like Ed Hockley sticks out like a sore thumb out of all of his peers. Or a sort of bicep. One of the most egregious at this over-officiating. It has to stop. The players aren't going to take it. The coaches are losing their patience with it. It's going to reach a tipping point sooner or later. I think it's up to the NFL to get out in front of this. And so, you know, we're going to move on from this because I'm just, I'm fired up now. But I got a beer in hand. I'll come back down to earth. We're going to get into this week's other big news, the roster cuts. Okay, now, in the biggest story for every team not playing football in Minnesota this week, the Bills officially trimmed their roster on Tuesday afternoon, just shy of that 4 p.m. deadline. Monday, Rex came out and said, we're not going to make any decisions today. He wanted to see another practice. He wanted to see, he, he wants to give his guys every chance he can. You heard it in the intro. He hates this roster cutdown process. And that's what any guy who truly is a player's coach would say the same thing. You know, it's... He wanted to give every guy out there one more chance. Change my mind. I think I know what I want to do, but do something that makes me change my mind. Oh, I probably, you know, I probably should have grabbed the audio for it. But in his press conference, I think it was yesterday, he stated that he doesn't. He would prefer not to go from nine. From, was it ninety to seventy-five? And then you go 75 to 53. He would prefer just a one straight cut. Because now you just <laughs> lost out on 10 guys to play in the final game against Detroit when you know you're not going to play your starters. Well, and I think the way that the NFL thinks about it, and it's a good way of thinking. I mean, look, at we just grabbed Patrick Lewis. By all accounts, I mean, if he's a guy who played center through the playoffs and into a Super Bowl, he's a guy who might have some upside. We got him because but there not, is this extra cutdown day. But he's not playing 
tomorrow. No, he's going to be on our roster. So the fact is, is we upgraded our offensive line depth because of this cutdown period. So it is important, even if it seems a little inhumane. Now, here's the official list of cuts as of this afternoon, and I've got a little bit of commentary on it. Wide receiver Greg Little heads up the list. I don't want to talk about that just yet. I want to talk about that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Long snapper Reed Ferguson. Now, this is Chris's childhood friend. You know, he was on the show before. We were all pulling for him. And as I told him when we had him on the podcast, it took our current long snapper, Garrison Sanborn, years to make an NFL roster. He was selling cars down in Florida. And he left, and he he just kind of had a good feeling about the Buffalo Bills situation, and he came up here, and he found a camp, and he got in, and he beat out whoever was starting ahead of him. I can't pretend to know his name. And now he's been our long snapper for years. Really? The fact is, is that as a long snapper in the NFL, the biggest transition from being a college long snapper to a pro long snapper is that in college, you don't have to block. As a long snapper in college, no one's allowed to block you. They, they can't cover you up with a, you know, a defensive tackle. So when you go to punt, you snap the ball, you just pop your head up and you're running down the field. You're out there as one of the punt gunners or you're down there as another member of the special teams unit. In the NFL, you have to be prepared that they, they what is it, you can't initiate direct contact with the guy. But if a guy touches another lineman, he can bulldoze you over and come right in the punter's face, and you have to be prepared for that. I think it's a lot to ask any NCAA rookie coming into the NFL, Yeah, any guy who played college football and tries to step up into the NFL, it's a lot to ask that he take that position on and win it his first year. I think it takes years to learn how to properly block when you've never played offensive line. You've never played a position where you had to use technique in blocking. So that doesn't mean he can't make it somewhere. It just means that right now is not his time. Well, plus it was one of the things that I said when we had him on. It's really outside of kicker, punter, long snapper. Those are the only three positions on an NFL roster where there's just one. Mm-hmm. So there's only there's 32 jobs. Only so. 32 long snapping positions. So that's tough to make it as a long snapper. And, you know, I, I sent him a tweet yesterday that we're, you know, we're still pulling for him. And we hope mm-hmm. that he lands somewhere, if not back here, in case somebody, <laughs> me, takes out Sanborn's knee <laughs> to make four listen, ACL tests. Listen, uh, listen, Tanya Harding, you, you, you stay the hell away from Garrison Sanborn. Another cut, linebacker David Hawthorne. Now, Hawthorne was brought in to be a backup, you know, due to injury. But then he hurt his hand, and even before he got injured, he was beaten pretty badly in the passing game. I mean, in training camp and practices, he just wasn't a good coverage linebacker. And so I'm not shocked that he didn't make the cut because we have enough depth at that position that we don't need that. Well, and the shows that our coaching staff is not satisfied with our linebacking core because we traded – for that dude from Green well, Bay. Ah, but you're, di- ah, you're talking about different linebacker roles. And I knew you were going to say that. Obviously, because I'm McC- a casual fan. <laughs> McCray, uh, yeah, and that's where you and I are different. McCray is an outside linebacker. He's an edge setter. He's a pass rusher. Hawthorne was your typical inside linebacker. He was always going to line up behind the D tackles and try to make plays over, you know, kind of flow over them to make plays at the ball. He just wasn't effective enough at that which is why they cut him and brought in another guy to fill that role, even if it's only for one game. 
I think they've seen enough out of Preston Brown and Zach Brown that they're confident going with those two as their starters, which I, I like Zach Brown. I'm high on the guy. Another cut, offensive lineman Robert Kugler. Again, he was part of that. Take care. Uh, he was part of that offensive line that I just couldn't stand. So Terrible. I'm, 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 Get out I'm of honestly, here. Honestly, I, I hate to say it, but I'm. He didn't have a spot on this roster. Jimmy Mundine, tight end. Did you spell his name right here? Nope. He, it is spelled J I M M A Y. Jimmy. That's why I just said, "Did you spell <laughs> his name right?" And you just said, "No." Yeah, I said, "Nope, nope." That is his name. That, Don't question me. His name is Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy Mundine. And he's an athlete. I never guy. heard of him. He's an athlete, but he's not a football tight end. Then we get to linebacker Eric Stryker. And I'll tell you, this was hard for me because I, I wanted to. Take a walk with your chicken wings, bro. <laughs> Stryker became one of the easiest players to root for in the offseason. I mean, we've talked about his heart, we've talked about how small he is, but he's overcome all this adversity. But we've also discussed his lack of size and how. He, is for as small as he is, he has the ability to just get swallowed up by guards. You know, as an outside linebacker, you have to be able to sometimes when you when when they get their initial punch on you as an offensive lineman, you have to be able to break free and still try to make a play around them. Yeah, he his get off he's got great get off, but if he doesn't get off, he's toast. Well and exactly. And you know, you could tell even Rex Ryan had a hard time with this cut, you know, during his weekly interview with BuffaloBills.com. Well, it's not that. I mean, I love the way he plays, the passion he plays with. Uh, obviously, he does have some limitations with uh, with his size, you know, speed. It, do, it doesn't fit the NFL standard. But um, I love the guy's heart, and you know, he's he's got a chance to play. It just it's just unfortunate. I think you know, for him, we have some really good players in front of him, and, and some veteran players, and, and that's 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 not an easy thing. I mean, he hit the nail on the head with Stryker. He's opportunistic in the pass rush department, and you can't deny that the kid is a fighter. But he would all ultimately always end up being a liability in the rush department. His rush defense does not exist because as an outside linebacker, sometimes you have to stack and shed an offensive lineman. He's so small that every time an offensive lineman got their hands on him, he just got washed out of plays altogether. Well, it's not. We went to the scrimmage, the first night scrimmage, and you know when they were doing individual drills. Like I pointed it out to you, I'm like, look at him standing behind Preston Brown. The top of his head comes up to Preston Brown's shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. He was clearly the smallest guy on the field. Yeah, and it's it's one thing if you're on offense. You can afford to be a Marquise Goodwin, a Roscoe Parrish. You can afford to be one of those guys in offense, but on defense, you have to bring physicality. And he just doesn't have the stature to do it. And by Roscoe Parrish, Drew means fumbling punts against Cleveland. <laughs> so, unfortunately, and it's a sad goodbye to Eric Stryker, but I'll tell you, I love the guy. He's one of he's one of my favorite players just because he... He endeared himself to me by the fact that he's just not a quitter. And just like Rex hit on, he's got a lot of heart. And then we cut defensive lineman Almeida Te'amu, who... Ooh! That's a mouthful. Dude, like you Never just, saw you, him play. I know he was a disappointing draft pick for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe. Dude, all I can say is you just crushed the pronunciation of his name. Really? Yeah. I don't know how it's supposed to be... Said, but you sounded <laughs> believable. Well, that's why I'm. That's why I'm on this side of things, and you're over there. I, I would have had to Google that name, and 
look up videos of how other pundits have said it, but you crushed it. Next up is quarterback Austin Trainer. Now is now is I. Uh, Chris and I were talking about earlier. This cut was interesting in the fact that I don't think that the kid even got a chance to show up and get a bag of Bills swag before they cut him. They signed him, and then the kid didn't even have a chance to put on a Bills hat before they told him he shouldn't show up. Now, what I my takeaway from this is that I think Cardale is healthy and that we're going to see a lot of him tomorrow night. I think we're going to see all of him tomorrow. Yeah. I don't think EJ plays. No, I don't. Oh, I don't think so either. I don't think it's, risk it. This is a uh, you get all Cardale here, and then this is oh, this is going to be great. This is what's going to. I'm going to. This just came to my head now. I'm going to okay? warn you, folks. We might be entering a realm of stupidity never before. Driving. No, no, we are not. For anybody that listens to WGR regularly you know that this is our last preseason game because ralph wilson had a home in detroit we always played detroit the final preseason game how many times over the last three years has this game happened and people call into wgr but we gotta get Kellen more did you see that game <laughs> we're playing against the backups i think that's gonna happen that's gonna happen tomorrow night with cardale jones he's gonna put on his uh, he's gonna bring his BCS championship game performance to playing against backups against Detroit, and people are gonna phone in Friday morning like he's the second coming of Jesus. Oh my God! I hope you're wrong. After that, we've got the cut of offensive lineman Jamison Walk. Now that was made to make room for Patrick Lewis on our roster, so that was a fresh one coming in today. Defensive tackle Justin Zimmer got cut. I'll tell you, folks, I wasn't shocked that if you guys follow, again, if you follow the podcast, we went to training camp and I saw with my own two eyes how slow he was. People talked about how his metrics, his metrics were going to blow everyone away. You know, his measurables were fantastic. Measurables do not win you battles in football. And unfortunately, he got out there on the field with second and third stringers and disappeared. And the few times I noticed him, it wasn't for anything positive. This, the, the, Defensive line is where we are best at with our starters and where we have the best depth. So it's no surprise that he got beat out by Adolphus Washington for a backup role and uh, Jarrell Worthy. Worthy. Jarrell Worthy. Yep. Jarrell Worthy, my boy. Now, in the last cut of the day, Jordan Gay. Finally. Coming in today to make room for our linebacking signing. Finally. I know it's tough to root against, again, it's tough to root against anybody who's trying to make a living in the NFL. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I think that's a thing that gets lost in this whole process. There is a human element to this. These guys are people. They're not just a name and a number on the back of a jersey. That guy has kids. He's got a wife. He's got a family. He's got people that he's trying to feed and support doing what he can do best, which is kicking a football. And he I'm got sure his, he, he got his chance I'm week sure, two, I'm and sure he failed. He has other skills, and I'm not going to say that he doesn't. But you hate to see anybody get cut. However, this is one that needed to happen, and it needed to happen a year ago. Okay, if we could go back in a time machine, we could have had a competent quarterback named Ross Cockrell still on this roster if we hadn't decided to mistakenly keep Jordan Gay on our roster for the season. With his missed opportunities to make field goals in the Giants game. And in practices, he proved that he he just can't be relied on as a true kicker in the NFL. And at that point, we cannot afford to give him a roster spot. 
I think they le- I give the coaching staff kudos for this because it means that they've learned their lesson from last year and they're moving forward. That gives me hope for the coaching staff as a whole. Now, the team also created some roster space. They moved Reggie Ragland to the IR. They put Shaq Lawson and Marcus Easley on the pup list. John Dowling, Chris Gregg, and John Renfro all were waived with injured designations. Now, these players will be given injury settlements if and when they clear waivers. Biggest surprises out of all this, this is where we're going to talk about Greg Little. I can't believe he's gone at this point during roster cuts, considering he was the most targeted wide receiver on this team this preseason and gave us an undeniable size advantage over most cornerbacks, given the fact that he plays, he is what we want Des Lewis to be. Okay? He plays that size, that, you know, that fade route style of wide receiver, but he, he actually pulls off the physical aspect of it. Well, if I was on, I told you guys last week on the podcast, I was on the AFC East Bros last Tuesday because we played it last week. Rex called out Salas, Powell, and who else am I missing? Des Lewis. Des Lewis. Yeah. And in my head, I had thought these were the these were the final three players to go for wide receiver five because I thought Greg Little did enough to take wide receiver four. He had a touchdown he had a touchdown catch this preseason, but I think that's also negated with that push off he had against Washington. Well and that's what you get out of a guy who plays a physical But then again Ed Hockley was calling the game. He's a physical player and that's what you're gonna get. Now word from the team is that they wanted him to give him the opportunity to land with another team. I call bullshit on that. I had little penciled in on my 53-man roster, and I think that releasing him and yet keeping Des Lewis and Jarrett Boykin, who have clearly been the low men on the wide receiver totem pole, is a bad call. Plain and simple, there's no way to make me make my peace with it. I think it's a bad call. Boykin has not shown up at all. No, and yet he's still here, and they send Greg Greg Little packing? Are you kidding me? And they still got Des... I think they kept... Kept Des Lewis because they invested in him. And I by invest, I mean they literally drafted him. That's garbage. That is garbage. Greg Little pick. was a former first-round pick. Garbage. I don't care about any second. of it. What I know is what I see. And what I see is one wide receiver who plays like a little girl when the ball actually gets snapped. And I see one guy who's going out there and doing everything he can to fight for the football. Screw Des Lewis. Okay. Now, I know that comes off as heavy-handed, but Jesus Christ, he hasn't done anything. Why is he still here? And then the other surprise for me out of all of this is that Greg Greg was waived. I'm surprised that Chris Gregg wasn't just moved to the IR list. Then I took a look at Track and I took a look at his numbers, and I realized it's kind of a shrewd move by our GM. By releasing Greg, and then negotiating an injury settlement with him after the fact. You know, Greg's set to be a free agent at the end of the season anyway. So rather than putting him in IR and having to carry that cap hit, Whaley now gets to negotiate a settlement with him and save us $675,000 in cap space. I know that that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're a team like the Bills who have a quarterback and a cornerback in Tyrod and Gilmore who could go on to get these big contracts next season, 
it's a savvy move to try to pocket as much coin as you possibly can right now. Who? Tell me who's going to... You wave Greg. Who's going to sign him? He's got a torn ACL. No, exactly. So, nobody's so touching him. So like you him. alluded to earlier, since you said it, at first I thought it was garbage. Now I'm thinking about it. Maybe their plan is to bring him back next year. Maybe that's one of those, hey, we're going to wave you. Wink, nudge, nudge. Keep rehabbing him. Keep your phone on. Yeah. I, who, who has... Who outperformed Greg to be the number two? I don't know. Are you not, tell me baby hands did great? Not, not anyone on our roster, which is why I still think I still think that the Bills are going to have their eyes, much kind of like they did with the offensive line. They clearly aren't happy with the depth on our roster, and they're going to keep their eye on the waiver wire. Which leads us to our final segment here, Buffalo versus Detroit. We're going to talk about what to watch for. Watch. For somebody to throw the ball backwards 15 yards. <laughs> You'll never get over that Sims play. That is you? hilarious. So the first thing I'm watching for is wide receiver usage. I mean, considering the team cut the guy that I thought was their second best wide receiver throughout the whole preseason in Greg Little, I'm going to be keeping a, t- a close eye on how the remaining wide receivers, Des Lewis, Jarrett Boykin for the most part, Respond. I guarantee you those two, Des Lewis and Jared Boykin, are cut on Saturday. If they both struggle and Little is still out there without a job, I I want him back. I want him back. What was what was Little's thing over his career? Drops? Right? Drops? Mm-hmm. I don't really think he, he had any drops no. this year. He was having a great camp. If he those two hang, don't perform... He didn't hanker him. Hanker... Sin himself. No. At all during the preseason. No. And so I think that if those two don't show up and Greg Little's still around there, he's a guy I want as my number five. The next thing I'm going to be looking at is Cardale Jones. Now, the fact that we cut our, our latest one-day signee quarterback, Cardale has to be ready to go tomorrow. So I want to see how he responds. He didn't play last week, and you watch that Giants game, and he just struggled with his accuracy so badly in that game against the Giants. I couldn't hit Sam if I fell off a camel. It's going to be interesting to see how he does if you give him a full four quarters. You know, throwing a guy in for a quarter and a half, you know, a, you know, what did he get? He got one quarter in the first game. He got a quarter and a half in the second game. I want to see... He's getting the whole game. When Cardale Jones gets into a rhythm, I want to see what he's capable of. You know, because he strikes me as a guy. You saw it in that first game with the Colts. His first two drives look shaky. But then... Crunch time. In crunch time, when it mattered, he led them down the field and almost... He scored the the game tie... What would have been in the regular season, the game-tying touchdown. He's one of those guys who I think needs to see more and more and more and more and more in order to improve. And this is going to be another step towards that. And I want to watch it. I'm calling it. For the people that are going to listen to this tomorrow on Thursday before the game, Friday morning when you listen to Howard Simon and Jeremy White on WGR, I guarantee you somebody's going to call in proclaiming that Cardale Jones should be a, a starter or at least the backup which we know that is not true. He is going up against third string slash people that won't have NFL jobs. So don't be surprised if he lights it up tomorrow night. 
He's he's our third string. He's going to be that way. He's going to be inactive all season, barring injury. Well, uh, I don't know. We'll wait and see what happens. The other three things I'm going to be looking for. A, small note, starters getting playing time. I still think Manny Lawson needs to see the field. Okay, I know he said this is traditionally where we don't play our starters. We said a lot of our starters last week. But Manny is a guy who's missed a large portion of the offseason program. I think he needs to get snaps in order to find a way to get himself up to speed for week one. The second is the running back battle. If you notice, there was no running backs. No running backs cut. Yeah, don't worry. Wilder's getting cut on Saturday. You bite your tongue. They have one more game. That tells me that they're still conflicted over who they want to keep and who they want to let go. I think this is where these players, someone's going to have to have a breakout game. Well, if they do, this 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 last running back spot, I guarantee you, we keep four running backs on the roster. This well, year. we know we know that your Wilder will start, and it's going to come down to your excuse his the crap secondary offensive line of why he's not not getting the holes that he should be getting. Ask him yourself, and I bet you he'd say the same thing. But the fact is, is that. They are clearly conflicted over who deserves to stay and who deserves to go out of our backup running backs. I also think they're concerned about this concussion that Gillies Lee sustained. You know, the fact is, is he hasn't practiced ever since it happened, and that was two weeks ago. Maybe it's, it's like the maybe <clears throat> it's like I hate to bring up this gentleman since he's no longer here. Carlos Williams had a concussion last year, and it was bad for him. Mm-hmm. He missed like four or five weeks. Yeah. So you wonder if. You know, Gillisley is having some kind of issues with like the a post mm-hmm. a post concussion syndrome, and in that case, that would explain why the Bills are saying, "Okay, we're not going to cut any running backs. We're going to let all of these guys go out there and earn their keep." I guarantee you, Jonathan Williams sees a handful of snaps at most. Then it's going to be Boom Her- Boom and James Wilder Jr. kind of fighting it out to see who can get through and see if anyone can make a name for themselves. That's the battle I'm going to be watching. And then the last part of all this is obviously injuries. It's the last game of the season, guys. Preseason. The whole, the, last game of the preseason. preseason. So, let, so obviously pre- we're going to – Sammy Watkins is going to start. Right, Doug Marone? <laughs> oh, Jesus. That was brutal. <laughs> When Doug Marone put him in there and he immediately bruises ribs, I wanted to throw both of the beers I was holding, but I mean they're beers, so I'm not going to throw them. I'll just curse loudly. But um, the fact is, is you know you got you got all these guys out there, and some of these depth players are still going to need to be depth players for us this season. We cannot sustain any more injuries. That's my. That's the biggest takeaway from this game. Let's get the hell out of here in one piece, regroup, figure out who our 53 are, and then go kick some Baltimore ass. Okay? I can't. I can't. I, I can't. I'll tell you, I'll be on pins and needles the whole game. I don't even know if I'll really be able to enjoy it because the whole time I'm going to be watching this thinking, oh, my God, just don't get hurt. Just nobody else get hurt. I think that's how we, I think that's how we all watch the final preseason game. No injuries, please. I don't want anyone to get hurt at all. Or at least anybody that you would know would be a high-level um, backup, you know, maybe like 
Somebody like Manny. I think Rex even said Manny Lawson might get some time. That's what I said. I'm like, Manny Lawson's going to need those snaps, so I wouldn't be shocked to see him out there on the field. What about you guys? Whoa. How about – I know we're, we're about to wrap this up, but this is the final – tomorrow's the final preseason game here. Okay, tomorrow or next Wednesday, what are we doing on the podcast? We're, we're going to break it down the, the uh, Baltimore game. Right? We're going to give you a preview. Next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about final cuts, what I think of the 53-man roster, and then... We're going to break down Baltimore. We're going to preview the Baltimore game. We're going to give you our season predictions, (laughs) where the record is going to be, and then, how about this? I I got it in the tablet. I'll I'll prime. Why don't you you should explain what we're going to be doing this season. Beer watch. Oh, so for those of you who aren't in the know, Chris and I are starting from scratch. Now, at the beginning of the off-season, we started collecting all of the beers we drink during this podcast. And we started boxing them up and putting them in a stack behind Chris, you know, over here by his fridge, directly behind him. And what I've noticed is that at one point, the stack was taller than the fridge. Beer watch. (laughs) So... Starting this season, now it's again. It's the call it the investigative reporter in me. You know, I went to I went to school for journalism. This is my thing. I love I love just getting into stats. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna break down how many beers we can drink over the course of an entire season while doing this podcast. And it's so everybody as long as we have this podcast, which I hope is years. This is gonna be a thing that we do. Every season, and it's going to start from the podcast before week one and go till the podcast after the end of the regular season. Beer watch. And at regular intervals throughout the season, we're going to put it out there. We're going to put it out there on Twitter. I'm going to do raffles. If anyone can guess how many beers are currently in our stockpile, there's going to be prizes. All right. Call, call it shameless promotion. I don't care what you call it. Call it just us being drunk idiots. Eh, you say tomato, I say tomato. At the end of the day, we're all here to have fun and talk about the Buffalo Bills. Beer watch. <laughs> and on that note, guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.